right, well, then I'm starting to right now. I just started. Yeah, I just started too. What's up? Suck it. Oh, you mean you started after me, so you're second? Not as good? Worse? Probably? Likely? Yeah, more or less. That's, more, that's mostly what I mean. Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity and I like it to be very couples. clean. All acted very similar. The matching couples. Oh my lord, I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird tastes. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly, if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now here's the show. How did we start last night? How do we start now? I say, hi, Mike. Hey, John. How's it going? Have we have we begun? Is this is this the yeah, I guess, this yeah, podcast? Yeah, this is it, man. Yeah, I guess this is how we're starting. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so what have you been up to lately? Huh? Like I said last time, uh, I was going to start working out, which I've been doing. Really? Okay. What have you been I doing? I started like just with like 20 push-ups, about 30 sit-ups, and... My body would physically only allow three pull-ups. That's probably more than I can manage. Since then, I am doubled the number of pull-ups I can do to a whole six, a whole six pull-ups. Hey, that's impressive. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing about 40 push-ups now and like 60 sit-ups. Wow. Yeah, crazy progress. Just doing that it is... every day. That is strangely rapid progress. I feel like yeah. it would take me much, much longer to get to that point. But also I've been like forcing myself because I do it in sets. So okay. I'll just add like an extra five. So if my body will let me do it, I'll do it. Sure. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And breaking breaking and it up into smaller it. parts makes it easier. Yeah. And I and so I've managed to do it. And I I feel way better. Like I've been like really like tired and and just out of it for a while and just in the last few days i feel like my mind's a lot clearer um i'm more focused does it surprise you because i feel like that's natural it it doesn't surprise me i'm just sharing my experience yeah i think it's it's good it feels good i'm 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 enjoying it a great deal yeah Yeah. which is good yeah i want to work out more so Ideally, I'll, I'll be in, in, in some decent shape come the end of the year. That would be ideal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this sounds a lot like what happened with me when I started stretching every day, you know what I mean? Where you just start feeling much better and you don't have the tension, you don't have the like strain on certain parts of your body. Like I remember back before I started stretching um, all the time, like six months ago, I just would randomly have a lot of tension in my legs because I, I walk all the time and so... I would be walking and then, you know, it would just feel tight. I would just, there's just would be tightness, like not constantly, but regularly. And it's great when you just don't feel that. And when you just feel better. You know? Yeah, no, I, I do. I totally yeah. get it. So yeah, how's the stretching going? Keeping up with it? It's going okay. Yeah, I would say I average one stretch a day. So the, yeah, the idea is that I'll do, I'll stretch twice a day, right? And I'm focused on just legs. So I'm stretching my groin and my hamstrings and Achilles. So I'm supposed to do it in the morning when I get up and in the evening before I go to bed. But I would say more than half the time I don't get in the morning one because I'm late for work or I just need to go somewhere. Um, so I end up only doing it once a day a lot of time. And sometimes I don't do it at night because I'm like, I got to go to sleep. I'm too tired. I'm done. Right. And I, I really should because it only takes like three or four minutes to do my stretches. But sometimes, you know, you still skip it. But yeah. no, I've, I've been still sticking to about once a day and it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's been feeling really good. I've, I've added an incredible amount of flexibility to myself. Like if you know that whole touch your toe type of thing when you're standing up. Yeah. I used to barely be able to go down to my middle, the mid shin, and now I can almost get my full palm on the floor. And uh, so, you know, that's pretty rapid that's pretty impressive. over time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think stretching, and this is one of the things that I love about stretching, that you really feel like it's not exhausting and it doesn't really hurt in the same intense way that some things do you know what i mean like if you right. try to start running like that's going to be a painful process getting used to running yes like once you're used to it maybe it's fine but getting used to it is really t- difficult oh my god stretching... dude, i tried <laughs> yeah i tried running for like a couple of weeks and my my lungs just they couldn't take it man they were <laughs> too weak 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you have to scale up with running, and you have to do it for an extended period to get used to it. You know I, mean? I know. It's, it's not easy. And on top of that, you won't really see obvious benefits. You know what I mean? Like, you won't see obvious right. results. Like, your push-ups and, and sit-ups and stuff, right? Like, you're not going to see dramatically obvious results. Maybe you feel better, but it's not right. going to be obvious the changes to your body. But in terms of stretching, like very rapidly you can see the difference in terms of flexibility. Like you can suddenly do things you couldn't do before. And it's, it's much more noticeable. Pretty impressive, especially considering that you're not a very flexible man since I've known you. Right. Well, because I never stretched, you know. I never stretched for my whole life. And I never really did any activities that required much stretching. You know what I mean? Play tennis, right. play volleyball, stuff like that. Like you don't need a ton of flexibility. That, that and makes sense. Now I am, and so it's, you know, when you start doing something, suddenly you get better at it. Mm. I've been working on my posture, too. I did not realize how difficult it is to just be conscious of that, to make sure that you're standing upright mm. and be, like, even, you know, not leaning do, to one yeah. side or leaning to the other. And I well, also especially with like, you and your weird stances that you strike. Dude, my body's just lazy, and it just wants to, like, not do, like, real standing. Uh-huh. So since I've been forcing myself to like stand like a normal human being, mm-hmm. I've I've also I've also noticed that I feel like working on my posture has also been sort of helping me feel better, and it's helped my back sort of relax a lot because I've always used to feel a lot of tension there, and now it just oh yeah I can imagine it, it feels better not a lot but I'm surprised that after years of marching band it's not more automatic to like have decent posture. For you. Well, I know, but it's because marching band was like a mode, you know. When you okay. put on the uniform, stand straight, walk straight, be a toy soldier. Okay. Yeah, it's a different different mindset. Yeah, because it's not, it's not a very casual thing. I mean, sure, the marching was pretty laid back, but also I was focusing on, like, the music and presentation for the people who are watching us perform. And... Yeah, and being able to play well and march effectively does have something to do with, you know, you have to maintain your posture. So it's easier right. when there's a reason to do it. Yeah. Also, big big news, man. Big news in my life. I have finally purchased my tickets to leave this country. Congratulations. I think. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I have an incredible number of flights coming up in the beginning of June. Because to get out of China, so I'm in Beijing, obviously. To get out of uh-huh. here, I have to fly to Chengdu, down in the southwest of China. So I'm in the northeast right now. I have to fly to the southwest. Then I have to fly to another place in the southeast. And then I have to fly across the ocean to LAX, where I'm going to meet up and hang out with you and Jose and maybe some yeah. other people. And then I have to fly to Mexico. To see you. Yeah, man. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think we might have to get in and out. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, we'll see what food. We definitely do. There's like one right by the airport, I think. Yeah, there is. There's one real close to LAX. Um, and so I might, we might just have to do that. Or we might get some Mexican food or something like that. I've been missing that for a long time, too. Hey, whatever floats your boat, man. Yeah, I, I'll have to see where, where my mood is at that moment. Because I'll be tired. Because it's going to take me 24 hours to get from Beijing to LAX, right? And then Sheesh. after we hang out for like six hours, we got to get back on a plane, fly down to Mexico, down to... I think I fly to... I'd have to check that. I'm not sure. Somewhere in Mexico. And then from Mexico down to Lima and Peru. And then I'll be chilling down there for all of June. So that'll be cool. Nice. But this flight is going to be epic. It's going to be so, so long. So my brother's wife is Peruvian and he's gone. Apparently somewhere high up in the mountains of Peru, they have this like festival okay. where they do some ritual really sacrifices. Questionable uh, ceremonies. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. sacrifices. So they drug condors. All right. Tie them to a bull's back. And then have them fight each other to the death. Interesting. Which typically ends with the bull killing the condor, and then the bull fighting a matador, and then getting killed by the by the matador. That doesn't surprise me. That sounds like the correct order of events in this situation. Yeah, but it just seems cruel, like something Peta would not appreciate at all in any way. I think that applies to most of life on Earth. Peta would not appreciate. But it's just yeah, I don't know. So if you know any festivals come up be prepared for that Point yeah i i'll have to pay attention to that man yeah it's, it's great because um so obviously i'm meeting up with my girlfriend there and we're traveling around for a month 
down in Ecuador and Peru, and I'm really excited about this. But also, I have several friends in Lima, um, and so hopefully, because they've been living there, and you know, one of them is from there, they'll be able to show me around and introduce me to things like strange mountain killing festivals. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be. That should be interesting. I'm really excited for Peruvian food, and I'm really excited to not be in China. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I really enjoy China. I know I often probably sound a bit negative. I really enjoyed it here, and I think I like China better than Korea, but, you know, it's, it wears on you after a while. It wears on you. Well, I mean, because as much as you like it, it's different than what you're used to. I can see how that, that might be difficult. Even, even if you have somewhat adjusted, you're still not part of the culture. Yeah, and, and I mean, not not... Being able to speak the language, you know, not being able to ask people things, almost getting hit by cars every day. Would you say you have any peeves about China? Yes, actually. And this does not only apply to China, but it applies to Korea as well, but it's so much worse in China. Okay, so one, bathrooms in East Asia generally are a frustrating experience because one, squatters, squatting toilets are way too prevalent. Like, I don't want a squatting toilet. And it's frustrating that they're everywhere. Now, I could accept that. Like, that's a different culture. That's a different thing. Fine. Whatever. But then, a lot of the time, they don't have toilet paper in these places. So you have to walk around. Yeah. So you end up walking around with your own toilet paper. Now, Korea was worse with this because they don't flush their toilet paper because they're stuck a century ago when they think their pipe and plumbing is, like, really weak. And so they have a little basket for you to throw away literally your poop-covered trash in a big pile of smelly garbage which you know not the most pleasant thing but china is worse with this in so many ways because oh god i'm so angry on the inside i can't even tell you so there's one thing that i find almost comical Mm -hmm. so because so many people here are so uncomfortable with i guess commode style toilets throne style toilets right the right kind of toilets right like proper toilets like sitting toilets you will regularly go into a toilet here or a bathroom and you'll see shoe prints on the toilet seat because they will have gotten up on the toilet seat to squat that's strange yes i would agree because i can't even imagine that it would be very easy or comfortable you know what i mean like like it would be like a squatting toilet's a pretty big opening you can hit it you know what i mean like you squat around it you get it in there. It's not too hard. But it also sounds... It sounds like that would be a great movie scene, though. Watching somebody squatting on just, like, a regular toilet. You know what it you would know? be great? It would be great in, like, a Jackie Chan movie where he has this big fight scene and they just get thrown into a bathroom and somebody gets thrown into, like, a stall and there's just a guy standing there on a toilet. Squatting instead of sitting yes. on it normally? Yes. Yeah. That's, that, would be, that's... that would be great. That would be a great yes. little comical insight. Um, but this, you know, that's not a big deal. Like, I clean the to- toilet seat, and it's, it's, I just kind of chuckle to myself because I think it's kind of hilarious. But the thing that's been pissing me off, and, oh, God, it pisses me off, is that people, this has annoyed me since I got here last fall, but when I first got here, or at least shortly after I got here, it got really cold, you know what I mean? And so I understand right. why people do this. People go into the bathroom to smoke all the time. I cannot tell you how long and how often I have to wait for a toilet. Like, I'll go into a place... There are four stalls, and I'll sit there for 15 minutes waiting for a toilet. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it's because people go into the stall just to smoke. Because technically, it's illegal to smoke inside in China now. And so people are like, oh, well, I can go in and hide in the bathroom, and no one will know that I'm smoking. Except that everyone can smell it, and everyone... Like, literally, I walk... I go to these bathrooms, and I'll walk down the, like, row of stalls, and I'll just look over the door, and just a little trail of smoke above each toilet. Yeah, that doesn't seem very subtle in any way whatsoever. Not at all. Not at all. Well, and there will be some guys, and this is even more frustrating to me. I mean, it's more frustrating and less frustrating at the same time because it doesn't make me wait, which I like, but it's just annoying. There will be guys, like, sometimes hanging out at the sink smoking. And there are these big signs that say, hey, don't smoke in here. Public warning. It's not, it's illegal. You'll get fined, all of this. Everybody still does it. And during the winter, I was like, fine. You know what I mean? Like, they need a place to smoke. They go into smoke because everybody in this country smokes. They've chosen the bathroom as the place to do this because they don't get in trouble, fine. But now it's spring, it's warm outside. I was in the mall the other day by this coffee shop that I always go to, and I went to the Uh bathroom, and I had to wait again for like 15 minutes to go into a stall, and there's just everybody smoking in there, and I'm like, you could just step outside. Literally, it's like 10 feet to walk outside. Just walk outside, it's warm, there's a nice warm breeze. 
But instead of that, they're like, let me go inside and try to choke everyone to death by smoking and making the bathroom unbearable for everyone involved. And so, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm oh. not overly excited about the bathroom situation in this country. I would hate that, literally with every bone in my body. Yeah, and it's and it's it's even more frustrating because I can't I, like I can't say anything because I don't know how to say anything. So all I can do is glare at them and ah, defeating, very defeating. Yeah, because I mean, like, what what can you say to them? Like, they don't like would they even care? Probably not. And that's one of the other things. It's become it's socially acceptable here to do this because everybody does it. And you'll see like the cleaning staff go in, and they don't say anything. They don't bother them. They're just like, okay, yeah, sure. And I'm just like, ah, God, because because. Like, if I could say something, I would say, hey, stop smoking. Some of us have to go to the bathroom, right? Like, stop wasting our time. Um, and I think they would get... Because also, like, lines are not a thing here, right? Like, people violate lines. And one of the issues is that nobody says anything, right? Like, this is one of the things that I, I appreciate about the U.S. If somebody... Like, the reason why certain social norms are enforced is because people enforce them. They say, hey, get to the back of the line. Don't cut me. Right. Right? Whereas here, right. if somebody cuts, nobody says anything. So not everybody cuts. I would say maybe 15% of people cut here. But since nobody says anything, they just cut with impunity. They just do it. And no one ever stops them. No one ever does anything. And so it just becomes a thing that people do all the time. Right. Whereas people don't do it in the States because they're like, oh, somebody's going to get mad at me. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get away with this. Because when you say something to somebody here, they understand. They're like, oh, well, oh, crap. Like, I got caught. I, I shouldn't be doing this. Right? But then... No one ever says anything, so they're just like, oh, nobody even noticed I cut. And it's like, yeah, they did. They just didn't say anything because I don't know why they don't say anything. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. Maybe they don't care that much. Yeah, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. Because like, I remember I was in Shanghai back in January, February, that time period. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there was this huge line to get into this like ancient village or something, right? Like It's this kind of traditional place where you can see traditional architecture, you can buy old crafts and things like that. And there's a huge line to get in because they always love to limit the number of people that can access anything at one time in this country. They love right. putting up fences and making lines. And so there's this huge line to get into this thing. And there's just people cutting left and right into this line of like a thousand people. And you can see like little people like in groups chattering to themselves, being like, oh, look at this fool. Look at this crap person just cutting us all, right? They don't say anything right. to the person, but you can see them like talking to each other about it, right? And right. then, you know, I started, Rebecca really enjoyed this. I, I started, you know, sending people back to the back, right? And being like, hey, go away. Like, you can't cut here, right? Right. And th so they went away. But, but people, you know, like other people definitely noticed. And it, like, you could see like some of the people being happy about it. But they would never do it themselves. <laughs> and it was so bad because I remember there was a security guard there that was walking along the line saying nothing to these people. But I remember the first person that I told to go to the back, I made it very clear that I was like looking at the security guard. And so like he had to judge and be like, hey, am I going to get in trouble? Like, is the security guard going to do something to me if I do this and like get into a, a conflict with this guy? And so, yeah, it was, it was good. But yeah, I, I do find it frustrating. But I mean, it's not, the, it's not the biggest deal. I wonder if there are any people who saw you doing that and realization struck them. Like they didn't even know they could do that. At the moment they see some like random foreigner just being like, no, you can't cut, get to the back of the line. They're just like, oh my God. You can do that? You can, you can tell people no, no cutting? And you just probably changed somebody's life forever. And now they're just like, yeah, no cutting. And, and now they're, they're happier people, probably. It, I don't know, that's just like a really funny. That'd be, that's a nice perspective on it. I, I like the idea of that. I feel like it's probably just that people don't want to have conflict right. today. So they don't start but anything. It, um, but it's possible but, that there's people that. Yeah, I mean, because. That it never occurred to do that. They're just like, yeah, this is life here. You know, people cut. You just gotta, you gotta let it happen. You can't do anything about it. Right. It is the way it is. Just accept it. Yeah. And then they find out you can do something about it, and it's like totally life changing. And now they're like the happiest human being in the world because they don't get cut anymore. That's possible. That's possible. Then they just get in fistfights with people because they try to tell people not to cut them. And then they become a better fighter. See, they learn a new skill, and they don't get cut in line. I'm changing their lives. I'm changing their lives. At least one. Yeah, I like I the like imaginary guy we made up. <laughs> yeah. What about you? You have any uh, you have any peeves? Or anything bothering you? So, as you know, I I've been to Montana a couple of times in the last year or so. I do know. And I've noticed how much better driving on the freeways through the Midwest is than in California. 
And, I mean, I never knew, because, you know, I've, I'd never driven anywhere that wasn't, like, a giant city, right? Sure. But, like, people here are jerks, man. They drive in the right lane, like, 80 miles per hour. And it's, it's so crazy to me, because over there, they have two-lane highways, right? Right. And if you want to go fast, you go into the left lane, and you pass, and then you go back into the right lane. And, and that's it. No one's cutting anyone off. No one's, like, getting behind you so that you can't merge into the next lane. And it's just, it's such crap. I don't, I don't know. It's been frustrating more after getting to experience decent, considerate drivers. Yeah, I can see that. Do you think it's just cities, though? Because I feel like if you get to bigger highways, like five, six lanes, those patterns tend to emerge. Right. I figure that it's just with the two-lane highway, there's rules, you know? Yeah. It yeah. exists. Because in California, that's set. a thing, too. Yeah. Right. But, like, once you get to, like, a three, four, five-lane freeway, it becomes anarchy. Just total anarchy. Yeah. But still, I feel like there should be some kind of rule. Because you know what people don't do? They don't speed up when you're trying to merge into the lane that they're in. Like, what's the purpose of that? Yeah, that's a real dick move. Yeah, that has nothing to do with how many lanes there are. Why do you need to do that? Do you think... Like, I, I feel like in the city, a, a large part of it is that people are in a hurry. You know what I mean? Like, people are going to shorter distance things. They're going to work. They're doing that. If you're on the highway in Montana... You're probably going for a ways, and you're not in that much of a hurry. Right. Because there's nothing for the next six hours. But if they weren't in a rush before you were merging into the lane, why was it that when they see your blinker, all of a sudden, they have to drive that extra 10 miles per hour? Because they're, they're dicks. It, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me, man. I just feel like there's so much like in like levels of inconsideration going on that just don't need to happen. You know? Yeah, like, no, you I, I do. You, you don't need to be driving 90 miles per hour, swerving through, like, all the lanes when everyone else is driving 60 miles per hour because that's how accidents happen. And then guess what? You back everyone up with your being inconsiderate of other people's lives and your own life and, and the cars that are there. I, I can understand complaining about city traffic and L.A. traffic and just the generally driver etiquette there. But if you want a comparison to... You, if you want to feel good about L.A., come, come out to Asia sometime, man. Spend some time in Korea. You remember in Korea, just people running I red already lights know. left and right? Yes. Yeah. I've never seen people just disregard rules <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's something just, else. They take everything as a suggestion. Oh, pedestrians? Well, maybe I'll slow down. I hope, <laughs> yeah, I hope they walk I'll faster. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, these stupid lanes? What are they for? I'm just going to drive in between them. Yeah, exactly. They'll just, they'll just split two of them. No I problem. love this strip of the road way better than that strip of the road. Yeah, and China's sidewalks? Oh, those are totally extra lanes. It's like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, there's, a, there's a bike path? That's where I'm going to drive. There's no cars in there. There's no traffic. I can go through there fast, real fast. It's, uh, it's uh, sometimes frustrating. But, you know, I, luckily... I can. I don't drive here, so you know I'm not. I'm not too overwhelmed with it. Yeah, I feel your pain though. I I am looking forward to being back home and driving. It's been a long time. So even though it's not maybe ideal, come July I'll be I'll be driving a lot in California. It'll be a good time. Uh, did you want to talk about uh, something to do with a bunch of dead things and old stuff? Ooh. So I read an article recently, and I'm sure you've read it too. Mm-hmm. But uh, mastodon, mammoth, whatever you want to call it was discovered not that recently apparently this was like in the early 90s so like almost 30 yeah. years ago yeah but with advances in technology there <laughs> are <laughs> we have the technology there's, yeah there's evidence that suggests that there may have been humans in the americas like 130,000 years ago and and to be clear we already knew that humans were probably involved with this mammoth we just didn't have good technology to date when this mammoth was from, right? Right. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty wild to think that there was some kind of proto-human. If it's true, if it's true, it, it might not be. Well, so let's unpack it a little bit, right? Right. So let's, let's do this. There's no direct evidence that humans were even involved with this, right? Right. So right. it's just 
because some bones are grouped around some rocks and we think that they were breaking them up to make bone tools, right? Right, because the bones were shattered in a way that made it look like the stones were used to shatter the bones. Right, so there's a good chance, but it's not like uh, it, it's not like there's human carcasses or anything like that back right. there that we're finding. We're not finding skeletons, human skeletons. Yeah, I mean, that'd be much more definitive. Right, yeah. And we have found, in the past, other members of our genus, like uh, Neanderthals, that make tools and things, right? Like, that's, that's been a thing mm -hmm. that's been found. Right. So we're, how would you feel about this if there were just other humanoids there, other primates? that could use tools, but not humans, modern humans. Well, it'd be pretty amazing, because you have to take into account, like, they had to find a way to get there. Well, but would they? Yeah, because this, this was, like, 100,000 years before the humans that were found there, or thought to believe to first arrive right. in the U.S., were there. So the, the Bering Strait probably wasn't, like, crossable through walking. Well, my question would be, would they have to have gone that direction would they because okay so we believe that modern man arose in Africa spread out across the world and crossed the Bering Strait into North America right mm -hmm. but there are other hominids from earlier that did not arise in Africa like Neanderthals right like they did not arise in Africa right correct so these could have been other hominids that arose in the Americas right they wouldn't have had to well, get there right but Neanderthals evolved from ancestors in Africa. So the question is, how did the protohumans that were in Africa get to America? Yeah, well, but, I mean, but my question would be, and, and see, and this is where I don't know enough about archeological history, but because you have many animals that are on both sides of the Americas and Asia, right? And Eurasia and Africa, right? Like if you look at monkeys, there are a bunch of monkeys on both sides. If you look at different insects, different birds, different, you know, turtles. Right. There, there are all sorts of things that are on both sides of those. And it's not because they walked, you know, from, from like, Nigeria to Brazil. You know, like, that, that wasn't right. happening. Um, and so I don't really understand how those things happened. But from what I believe, it's that either they were on both sides when the continents kind of split, um, or they somehow... For flying creatures, they flew over because many flying creatures fly over, get caught up in the jet stream or something. Right, but then are we going to discuss the possibility that there is a completely separate like line of evolution in the Americas? Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I'm thinking like, about. Yeah, like just completely different, totally separate from uh, from the like first humans to evolve in Africa. Yeah, that'd be that'd be. That'd be pretty. That'd be pretty dope if we could find evidence of that. It would be nifty, yeah. Because I mean, you have plenty of other primates in in the Americas. Right, but you don't have any like great apes. True. No, that's true. That's that's fair. No, that's Our that's a good point. Closest relatives. But I mean, the fact that there were no humans anywhere outside of Africa, 130,000 years ago, humans were only in Africa. That right. So from what we understand, right. and so. It's extremely unlikely that they would be humans because we haven't found any evidence of humans in Asia that long ago. So it, it, right. it seems like a stretch that they would be humans. Well, I mean, that's why it's possible they're some kind of like proto-human. Right. Like, uh, what are they called? Homo erectus? Heidelbergensis or something. Oh, Homo erectus, yes. Or Athrolopithecus or something like that, yeah. Well, and so, yeah, like, so they could be some other hominid, right? Some other proto-human. Right, because, I mean, that's, that's how you get Neanderthals, right? Exactly, yeah, that's, that is exactly where you get Neanderthal. But then you have, like you said, the question of how did they get there? Because I guess this was during the Ice Age, right? I, I imagine I, the articles I've read did not specify exactly. Well, from what I read, and I didn't get this, I didn't get this from reading an article, I got this from listening to a podcast, is the Nature podcast, right, from uh, Nature magazine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But from what they talked about, because this is finding essentially a woolly mammoth in California. Right. right. And that... Essentially, they talked about because it was all frozen over, basically. So at this point, California was not warm and sunny as it is today. It was a frozen kind of tundra, Waste essentially. Land. Yes. Right. And so, if that was the case, then crossing the Bering Strait would have been not that big of a deal in terms of being able to actually walk, just actually being able to survive. Right. Well, I mean, it's possible. Well, no, because because that's the whole thing about from, how they could cross. But right. But I, from 
from what I was reading, one of the articles was refuting that the bearing would have been passable, I guess. like The land bridge? Yeah. It would have been much less likely that these proto-humans would have been able to like cross it. Huh. It wasn't a stable or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly the details, but they were just like, it seems unlikely that they would have been able to get to the Americas using that route. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know anything about that. That sounds... Right. But you, you know what it is, it is fascinating? When you look at... Have you, I don't know if you've ever looked at maps of how what, what gets uncovered during like the Ice Age in terms of the oceans currently cover it, but it was just land back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fascinating because when I... So I've gone around Southeast Asia a lot in the last year, and right. you look at some of these places, and you, you know where Indonesia is and Thailand, Malaysia, all of that stuff, right? Right. So that was all one solid lo- block of land during hmm. the Ice Age. Really? Yeah, the ocean did not cover any of that. The ocean went between Indonesia and Papua New Guinea um, and Australia. Those three were separate. But all of those main islands of Java and um, Borneo and, and Sumatra, that was all part of the same landmass. And so you get a lot of you know, creatures that are the same between that. Um, and so I, I don't actually know for the west coast of the Americas what would be uncovered, but I imagine there would be a lot more land to try to cross the Pacific from, or even when you're talking about trying to cross from Europe, because right, right. Y- you look at the Greenland ice shelf, right? So a lot more of that between Greenland, Iceland, and like the UK would have been uncovered or frozen over, I would guess. Um, so you know, you know another interesting question that I've always wondered about this? So the only main... Mm. The only domesticated creature between the Americas and uh, Eurasia, Africa, that was the same was the dog, right? Right. It's the only thing that was the same. There were no plants that were the same. There were no other animals that were the same. So I've always wondered, did dogs come over with the humans, or were dogs already in the Americas, and they just got domesticated again? It's possible they came over with, with them. Which would have meant the dogs got domesticated real long ago, right? Because the first... Yeah people to come over were supposed to come over what 15,000 years ago yeah something and like that from everything I've ever read it talks about the first domestication being plants and that that happened something like 10,000 years ago um, that's what people always talk about with the first settled civilizations and things like that right right yeah anyway so it's just it's really interesting to think about how incredibly integral dogs are and if we domesticated them that much earlier then well from what I've read I don't know if it was so much like domestication as it was kind of like a like a relationship of convenience okay the way i've understood it is uh relationships between you know humans and dogs started mainly because i guess you know a lot of nomadic peoples would i guess drop scraps or leave bones or other useless things that they probably didn't consume and Sure, they, like scavenge it. Scavenge yeah, it? would just follow them and yeah, scavenge them. And from what I've read, that's kind of like the the theory they have as as to how those relationships began between humans and dogs. That's interesting. So you would definitely assume that dogs that opted to scavenge uh, would be more passive and docile than dogs who were actively, you know, hunting in packs and things like that. That would be more aggressive. Right, which would probably make it easier to domesticate them. Yeah, And um, going back to the whole potential of um, humans in in the Americas, uh, there was somebody who was arguing about the possibility of it, talking about um, the Aborigines in, I want to say it's Papua New Guinea, because it was still still separate, right? That was one of the landmasses that wasn't... Yes. Well, I think they might have been right? connected. I think they might have been connected to Australia, but yeah, they were definitely separate from Asia. Right, and so apparently the Aborigines from there supposedly arrived via boats. So maybe early humans, even like really primitive ones, had some kind of idea of like sailing or traveling. That by seems water. like a bit of a seems like a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? Yeah, well, yes, yes. It's, I mean, it's not really like the legit go-to theory as to how they got there. Because we're talking about 130,000 years ago. We're probably not talking about Homo sapiens, right? So, no, to no imagine we're definitely talking about... Even more primitive man, even more primitive hominids 
being able to... Well, think if there was, like, small gaps. It's not as wide as the Pacific or the Atlantic, you know what I mean? And they maybe have an idea that, like, oh, you know, some wood floats. And maybe you have, like, four or five of them, you know, tested out. Maybe they die. But the ones that stayed behind see that it's possible, and they, they keep trying. I mean... But even when you look at the Pacific Islands, right, when you look at Hawaii, you look at Fiji, you look at all of Tahiti, those places, those were not populated that long ago. You know what I mean? We're talking about several thousand years. We're not talking about 20, 30,000 years. And so, I mean, I guess it's feasible. It just seems highly unlikely. I mean, really getting into the mindset of somebody who says, you know what, we're going to make some boats and we're going to try to row into the ocean and just hope that we, like, find an island, like, that's insane. Well, maybe it was visible... In the distance. California was visible in the distance from Well, not Japan. California, but Alaska. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that. But but think about the uh, people going to the Pacific Cause, cause Islands I mean, for a second, right? Like, right. think about how far away Hawaii is from anything else. The people that, like, rode there must have been insane. Who in their right mind says, we're going to leave this home of ours we're going to row off into the ocean for weeks, maybe, into nothingness and just hope there's land. Maybe longer. Like, everybody thought Columbus was crazy, and he had, like, giant ships and sails and crap. That's true. That's true. Well, I mean, maybe it's just that sense of curiosity. Maybe they thought they'd reach the end of the world or, or figured that they'd go back around, you know, like in a circle, and instead they just ended up on a s- small group of islands. Maybe. I just can't even, I can't get into their heads at all. It's, it seems Right, because, I mean, it's possible that it didn't occur to them that the world was as big as it was. Maybe they're just like, yeah, you know, if we go far enough, we'll just end up on the other side of our land. Or So you're assuming they knew it was a sphere, but they just didn't know how big it was. Maybe. It's possible. Like That was a big thing with Columbus, too, right? That they estimated the world to be much smaller. and that Right, because he was the... trying to take a shortcut to India. Right. And so because they thought the world was much smaller because they didn't think the Americas existed. So they thought right. it was just the Atlantic Ocean connected to the Pacific. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, they found a whole... You know, I guess it's two continents, but to me, why? Why is it two continents? Because there's like a little strip here that isn't large as... Well, I guess it makes sense because Europe... It's more two continents than Europe and Asia. That's That's true. Or than Africa and Asia. Yes. Yeah, no, I just went over and looked and realized that I'm like, I don't I don't know who, who did this, like, categorizing of the continents, but I don't think they did a good job. Okay, how would you divide up continents? Oh, uh, so, I mean, I guess I could do North and South America. But, like, Europe and Asia, that could totally just be one big continent. Africa looks passable, like it could be its own thing. Definitely. I, I, I'd, I'd give it to Africa. Africa's separate yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no way Europe and Asia should be, like, two separate entities as far as, like, masses of land go. See, I think I would break it into any area that is significantly cut off from another area, right? If you're talking about, like, southern Asia, right? You're talking about India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, that whole zone. So, yeah, like... It's called a subcontinent now. I'm like, separate it off into its own continent. It is its own thing. It's completely blocked off by mountains. It protrudes into the ocean in a weird way. Right? Like, Europe, yeah, cut Europe off. But cut Europe off not where the Ural Mountains are, but cut Ural, Europe off where you've got that kind of choke point where, with the Bosphorus and the Black Sea and all that, right? Right. Um, like, that, that's what makes sense to me. So, you can see you it. Know. Yeah. But then, do you just, like, let the... Middle East kind of be its own thing then, too? I would. I would indeed. Because it's cut off from Europe, it's cut off from Africa, and it's only connected That's up true. with Asia kind of a little bit right where Iran is, right? So, like, right. Iran I would put as the barrier of a separate continent called, uh, you know, I don't know, Arabia, or whatever you want to call it. Islamaland. Cool. Yeah. Islamaland. Yes. Yeah. That's trademarked. No one Islamaland. can use it now. You're going to make a movie? Islamaland. Yeah. It's going to be its theme park, an Islamic-themed theme park. Yeah. That'll be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the movie's going to be about, the theme park in 
it getting built and then no one coming because it's not fun. It's like you could go to you could go to mosque all day. Enjoy. <laughs> Yay! No bacon. Alcohol. You guys can, not uh, today. It's like you could take these bottles of beer and smash them on the ground. <laughs> but no, you can't drink them. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah I feel I like, like a it. Jewish uh, theme park wouldn't be as fun either. I feel like any theme park themed on a religion would be uh, less than ideal. That's true. You know, you're not getting a lot of interesting rides out of uh, religions, generally. I'd go to a Mormon theme park, though, because I think it'd be really hilarious. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd also, I'm not with you. I'm not with you at all. I'd also go to a Scientology that. theme park, because there's no way they don't have cool rides. No, man. No, I'm not, I'm but, not down with any of But space aliens. First of all, theme parks, as a general rule, are not a good call, right? Like, they're just not. There are a lot of lines and standing out in the sun and it being and hot and people. everything being too expensive. So many people, right? yeah. That's, that's, that's what a theme park is, really. It's a, it's a chance to stand in line and be too hot and pay a lot of money for not very good food. And, uh, yeah, so generally not a good call. If you're doing a religious-themed one, extra not good call. Now, if you wanted to do, like, a strange historical one... Like a theme park that was based on, you know, the World War II theme park. That'd be real interesting. Mm. But, yeah. So if you wanted to do... I think do... they call those museums, John. No, but, like, you get to do <laughs> role plays, man. You're like, oh, I'm in D-Day. This is, like, the experience, the simulated experience of D-Day. Like, you know, that the whole... That sounds horrible. That sounds be like really the most interesting, unnecessarily though. stressful experience one could have. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> gonna pretend to run into gunfire on a beach okay no but like you wouldn't do that you would be observing it you would, it would be like soaring over california you know that in california uh whatever it's called okay. california adventure yeah where yes. you just go okay. over the beach and you see how everything was laid out and you see how the ships were and the battlements and all of this like that, that, that would sort be of much thing. better yeah you yeah. shouldn't open with role play and then talk about <laughs> d-day <laughs> yeah okay fair enough like you that, too that get to watch best your best idea. friend get shot in the face <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, okay, fine, I'm with you, I'm with you, maybe not, maybe not so much that. Yeah, and then, you know, people could experience what, like, concentration camps were like, <laughs> that'd be a fun okay. role play, but, too. But what I mean, what I mean is, like, trying to give people the experience of what things were in the past. Like, when you go to historic, histor- historical Williamsburg, right? Mm-hmm. I know you haven't been there, but, like, well, no. basically you go there and they do all of these w- weird, boring, old-timey things that are kind of interesting when you actually get into, oh, this is how you turned butter? Oh, that's kind of weird and interesting. Oh, this is where people like live. This is how people live. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Those things, not tons and tons of fun, but they're much more interesting than, oh, these are the tenets of this religion. Let's, let's, have, let's do this. Yeah, like, that just seems silly. Well, yeah. Well, that's why theme parks aren't based in history or religion because nobody would have fun there and it'd be really depressing all the time true that's that's very true it would be no good yeah i'm definitely yeah. going to cut all of this it's going to be good times yeah oh well it's good i think i think it should be used for something at some yeah point. maybe maybe this will just be our uh like advertisement page we'll have like this 10 minute clip where we're bashing on religions and talking about <laughs> experiencing d-day and watching your friends die it'll be good it'll be, it'll be a real pro move yeah. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about media? Yes. Let's let's do it. Okay. All right. So, how do you get your information, John? Um, how do you how do you? So I've actually so I've changed. It's changed a lot in the last year, right? Um, so I used to read a lot. Okay. So so okay. Let me give you just a little background, right? So, as you know, Mike, I went, back in 2014, I changed myself pretty drastically. Like, you were there some of the first times that I started going to coffee shops and reading all the time, right? Yes. So I started out I that. reading books, like, constantly. I was reading, like, four hours a day. And then eventually I decided, you know what I should do? I should get some kind of modern, relevant information, not just big ideas, not just in-depth ideas. There are a lot of things that I want to know about that I don't... Uh, need a whole book on right so i started right. reading magazines and i realized i really didn't like some magazines and i really didn't like some newspapers so i got oh, how many did i get i got like 12 or 13 subscriptions to magazines and a couple uh, subscriptions to newspapers 
and I just read all of them. And I read, I shifted to reading only like one hour a day of books and reading three hours a day of magazines and newspapers because I wanted to figure out which ones were the best and which ones I really liked and which ones I wanted to read for the next 10 years. You know what I mean? Which ones do I trust? Right. Um, and I did that for months and I eventually whittled, whittled it down to just a few um, mm -hmm. that I really liked and I really trusted. And then I left America. And when I left America, I suddenly couldn't get any of those. And when I was in Korea, I could get some of them, I could get them all online. But I don't really right. like reading online. It's a completely different experience. And when I came to China, I couldn't even access most of them at all, which was pretty garbage. So since I got here, since I have gotten here, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's real unpleasant, man. I've shifted a lot into audio, right? Because I never used to listen to stuff. Like when I first got The Economist, so uh, The Economist, I would say, is my general news source. If I'm going to get generalized news, I'm going to go to The Economist because it's the best, I guess. There, there are a number of reasons why I like The Economist, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's take it back to what I whittled it down to, right? So I whittled it down to like four magazines that I would want to read. Um, I didn't want to read any daily newspapers because I tried the New York Times, I tried the Wall Street Journal. It was just too much. It was way too much to get something every day. And it, they talked about a lot of things that didn't really matter because they were doing it every right. day. They didn't have a filter. So I decided the most regular I would ever get would be a weekly because they at least can filter out and really focus on important big things rather than just the minutia of, oh, this happened today, right? Or this happened right. in the last two days. And so I settled on a couple different magazines. I settled on Fast Company to talk about technology and business. Settled on Wired to talk about technology in particular. Mm -hmm. Harvard Business Review to deal with business, although that's pretty specific and not necessarily useful in a broader sense. It's more like reading a book, really. The Economist for generalized mm -hmm. news. Uh, Bloomberg. Bloomberg is real solid. I currently have a subscription to that myself. Bloomberg is great. Um, but again, they're more specifically narrowed into business and dealing with business stuff, dealing with companies rather than generalized news. Uh, so the only generalized news source that I had was The Economist. Right. And so I was always reading these. But then when I, in 2015, I went to Europe for three months, was traveling around, and there was no way that they could mail it to me. So I gave you, I, I believe, the subscription, the print subscription, and I just used the audio one, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first got The Economist, my brother always talked about, you know, the audio is the best. Just listen to the audio. It's so much better. You can do it while you're driving. You can do it at different times. I never did that. I started doing that in 2015. And yeah, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I still think I would prefer reading it, but since I haven't been in a country that I could get it printed, I've just been listening to it for the last years, last two years. Um, and I haven't followed the other ones at all because I can't get audio versions and I'm not going to read them online. So right. I've, so that's it's, it's narrowed, narrowed what I've been consuming. But maybe eight months ago, nine months ago, Jess mm -hmm. in particular got me into podcasts. Um, Jess is the person that I work with on NTL. She's a business partner, and she got me into podcasts in a big way. The interesting thing about podcasts is kind of like blogs. You get very specific information about certain subjects. You know what I mean? You're not right. getting generalized news. So I have several science podcasts I listen to, several you know news podcasts, um, some things on entrepreneurship, on technology, um, and I've really been enjoying uh, consuming the the old podcast. As you say, it gives you like a broader spectrum of information that you weren't getting with your magazines? Well, not so much broader, but like more more specific, right? Ah. So if you want a certain type of information or information on a certain subject, you know who to go to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For instance, there's a podcast I listen to that talks about Apple news, right? Things that have gone on with Apple, Apple updates, Apple technology, their thoughts on different Apple things. And if I want to learn about something to do with Apple, I just go on there and I look for their episode where they're talking about it. And I can learn all about that. You know what I mean? Whereas if mm -hmm. I open up Wired, you know, maybe it'll talk about that. If the news is big enough, it'll obviously talk about it. But it's going to talk about a whole bunch of other things that I may or may not actually want to find out about. So if I want to find out about something specific, podcasts are definitely the way okay. to go. Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at now. Although I've shifted, nice. I think I'm going to start trying to read more blogs because blogs, again, give you that deep, specialized information that you don't get from these generalized news sources, and I really should be getting that. I just hate reading on the computer. I just really do. i got to ask, is, do you find it difficult to find legitimate podcasts? Like, I'm sure there's podcasts where people might claim to know things, and maybe you listen to it and you find out that they don't know Jack. Uh, no. No? So, no. so it's pretty easy to find, like, reliable... 
Yeah, so most of the podcasts I've gotten onto, I've gotten onto from suggestions from other people or other podcasts. And normally they're pretty good because, because, okay, so most people know something, right? They have some sort of expertise in some area, right? They have a certain right. body of knowledge. And if they're, if they're focused on talking about the things that they are interested in, the things that they know about, generally their information is pretty good. And you can tell when somebody's talking if they're speculating about stuff, if they don't really know about it, or if they actually are you know, telling you information that they know. Um, and for a lot of these areas, you can find pretty reputable things without too much difficulty. Like when I listen to, I listen to Science Friday and the Nature Podcast, which is two, two science ones, one from NPR and one from Nature Magazine, which is you know, the biggest science publication okay. probably in the world. And uh -huh. you know, those are pretty reliable sources. You know what I mean? Right. And, and yeah, so I mean, but you have to find people that you trust, but generally highly rated ones are not gonna be terrible. And I mean, I've, I've had to, you know, stop listening to quite a few. I, I probably have listened to at least a hundred different podcasts and I've narrowed it down to, I don't know, a dozen that I listen to regularly. Okay. And so, you know, you, you test them out, you see how you feel, you see if their information is actually relevant and then you, uh, you decide. Yeah. yeah, you gotta find what you like and what you trust. Exactly. So what about you, Mike? I do a lot of Redditing. Reddit, okay. So I know nothing, yes. literally almost nothing about Reddit. All right. So Reddit is just like a giant conglomerate of interests. Just okay. Anything you can think of. From like the most broad music to the most specific thing like dragons having sex with cars. It's crazy <laughs> the things you find on there. Okay. And well, there are obviously sites that are more popular than others because more people have a shared interest. That's a good and one. Dragging yeah. car sex is not huge on most people's lists. It's not a big one. So there are a lot of popular ones. Specifically, you know, they have like a, like a history subreddit. They have a science subreddit. They have a news, world news. Um, you know, things, ones for like music. And they're, they're actually pretty good at keeping up to date with okay. what's going on. So, you know, I'm, I'm always finding out new stuff that I don't think I would find out via watching, like, Fox News or CNN or something. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that I might not think to look up, so I would never get it from, like, a publication. Right. And so it's pretty valuable, I think, in that it offers you information, but also a community of people that are mm. knowledgeable. Yeah. Some that are knowledgeable, some of them don't know anything, obviously. And so you get some people who contribute a lot of like useful information to like supplement some of the articles for people who may be like ignorant of a lot of this stuff and okay. they provide sources sometimes like you know just people who are really like enthused and so it's a community that helps people become more informed about things they want to be informed about if they want it if they want to learn about it well and this is this is one of the things so okay so i like i said i listen to several podcasts and one of those podcasts is called cortex which deals with a lot with productivity a lot with how we work and one of the guys on there is called cgb gray he's a pretty famous online personality mm -hmm. and he talks about reddit he, not constantly but he he clearly is very into reddit and a big proponent of reddit and you've talked about reddit a lot in the past um, and I'm more and more convinced that it's a good idea because of what I was talking about with the blogs. Like, I've found from consuming a lot of media over the last two and a half years, three mm -hmm. years, that you can get it to the point where you can talk about things by reading right. magazines or newspapers. If you're reading books, then you get to where you probably really understand the ideas. You can't just talk about them, but you actually understand them. But right. you don't get to the point where you can actually, like, do the things. You know what I mean? Like, where you, if you're right. focused on skill development, if you're focused on actually learning like really detailed, actionable stuff. Right. You don't get that from, you know, reading books. And you don't get that from reading, you know, newspapers. And and so I think Reddit probably offers a really good option there for actually getting to know people who can explain things at length to you. Right. And it definitely definitely allows you to talk to people who do have a lot of experience and knowledge. Yeah. Because I know there's like subreddits for PC building and, sure. you know, whittling one of my favorites. Building. Building cabinet. Sure. Carpentry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a subreddit for that where if you want to learn how to do carpentry, they'll probably send you a million links and what the best tools to buy and what kind of, if you're on a budget, 
this is the best brand for you if you're on a budget or not, you know, and it's... Yeah, it's, and I do yeah, figure that as opposed to just searching on Google for like any of these types of things, like getting into the Reddit will give you much higher quality and much more specific... Right, because you have people who have these hobbies and they love these things and they're happy to help people who want to get into the things they love already. Yeah. It's really impressive. And it's cool because with that sort of information, it does attract people who who might be like professionals in those particular fields or that right. might even be like semi-famous like um i'm a big mma fan I know. martial arts yeah, yeah yeah and so i i frequent the the rmma which is the subreddit for mixed martial arts okay. and we have a lot of professional fighters on there who come on and like comment and let us know what they're up to or keep us up to date and a lot of analysts who like break things down so you can get like a really intimate knowledge of fighting and and not just watching something and getting it, but knowing why they get hit or why they don't get hit or what makes them dangerous or what makes them not so dangerous. And it's it's pretty wild. You get really deep insider information. And I mean, I imagine from the producer standpoint, like this is a really great mechanism for engaging with your, you know, hardcore audience, your dedicated audience, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it seems to serve purposes on both sides. And I've heard a lot of people talk about LinkedIn like this, where, you know, you can really, if you, you can get a lot of value if you are connecting with people and sharing information and learning information. But I've never really been able to use LinkedIn very effectively for that. And Reddit just seems like a natural platform to do this in, yeah. on, about any topic. So I've decided, yeah, I've decided I've, I've got to get more into your whole Reddit world learn about that thing a little bit. Yeah, because it's definitely welcoming to anyone who wants to learn whatever they want to learn about. And, right. and the communities are super different. Like, you have people who just use Reddit for general information, and then mm-hmm. there's people that use Reddit just for that particular subreddit. Like, they only get on to talk to other carpenters or other welders or sure yeah. other podcasters, you know? Like, I think there's one subreddit that's just about like flipping clothes you know like buying old clothes and selling it online yeah and so the community is just literally people like talking about oh where the best best places to go are to buy clothes that you could sell for a profit or you know what's a better website to sell it on ebay or amazon and it's just pretty cool it's pretty cool it does it does sound quite interesting um and just being able to because this is one of the big things as i've been trying to create content for the last almost a year now and trying to figure out like I want to one of the big reasons why I want to create content like like this podcast is to be able to reach out to people and connect with people that are interesting that know about things that I'm interested in people who are you know worth getting to know because I've spent a lot of my life trying to find people that are worth getting to know and you know there are a lot of crap people out there There there's some good people too but you got to do a lot of sifting it takes a lot of hard work yeah, if you're going to bars, you're going to parties, well, a lot of that's not going to turn out very well. Yeah, and so be very many interesting people. Right, and so I like, I really like Reddit as an option because it, it does seem so self-selecting, you know what I mean? Like, if right. you're real crap and you're not interested in the things I'm interested in, I'm not going to have to, you know, you're not going to engage, you're not going to be a part right. of it. I'm definitely keen to learn about this a little bit more. I, I feel like it's funny. I've, I, I, over the last two years, I've gone through so many phases of discovering things that other people have just known about for decades. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of sad to me, but it's kind of... I love, I love discovering all of these things Is that, that are like not Is that like one of those things we should talk about at length in the future? Discovering things that have been around forever? <laughs> yes, that should definitely be... That's that's the thing sounds, that needs to be discussed. Yeah, because that sounds like a good one. Something totally worth talking about. I like it. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 generally where I get a lot of information. Yeah, cool. and then I read Bloomberg Business Week too. Okay. I, yeah, it was, I I think it's pretty informative because it, I think okay. even though it's like strictly like business related, it does kind of tell you how it plays out in like society. You know what I mean? Yeah, Bloomberg is is really good, I find. And also they give you a lot more hard information, I would say, a lot more data. Yeah, they, they're one of the better business publications. Because I, fe- I feel like when I read it, that despite not being, you know, very familiar with a lot of the things you're talking about, sure. it's still pretty relatable to, like, everyday life. Kind of gives yeah. you an idea how, how things do work, you know? Well, I, like, and that's one of I the I don't nice... think it, like, caters necessarily to, like, laymen, but it does do a good job of... No, I think it does. And I mean, it, The Economist in the same way. That's one of the things that I think is valuable about The Economist is that 
you don't necessarily have to know about a given subject that you're reading about to be able to engage with it and to understand their point, you know what I mean, what they're trying to tell you about. And I think the same applies to Bloomberg in, in mm -hmm. many respects, that as you're reading it, you know, it's not, like when, like when you get into some of the kind of intense magazines, like if you start reading, for instance, Harvard Business Review, right, they're going right. to be talking about a lot of concepts and a lot of business concepts, management concepts that, you know, if you haven't studied business or you haven't gotten your MBA or worked in a corporation for 10 years, you may not be aware of the, the concept that they're discussing at all. And they won't explain it. You know what I mean? Like they'll, right. they'll go into their specific problem that they're dealing with and just assume that you know all the background. And I really do like that in Bloomberg and in The Economist, that they position it in such a way that it's apprehensible, you know, that you can understand the information. But you, I'm telling you, like Bloomberg is a little bit uh, too focused on the US, man. You gotta get on The Economist at some point. No, you're, you're right. I, I always you wanna know about the rest of the world. It's just, it's so expensive. It's just like, start, start with a three month one for 12 bucks. I'll definitely do that. Yeah. It's probably worth it too. Because when I did have it for the while that, that I was getting it from you, I yeah. feel like I was learning a lot of stuff. I would not be surprised. That I did not know was even like happening. It was pretty enlightening. Well, and that's that's really the insane thing because in the U.S. you don't generally have access to international news. You don't you don't know what's going on in the rest, and almost no news outlets or or any kind of media that you would consume in the U.S talks about the rest of the world at all. And even if you're reading other international English-speaking periodicals, you're not going to get a lot of international news beyond the English-speaking world. So you're talking about maybe the UK, maybe, you know, Canada or Australia, and that's it. And so if you want to know what's going on in South America, if you want to know what's going on in Asia or Africa, you really need to be reading something like The Economist because it engages, you know, you in a deep way about other parts of the world, which I find invaluable. 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 Yes, invaluable. Yeah. So for all you listeners out there, I'm not saying you should necessarily get it, but if you want to learn about the rest of the world, I, I would love to hear back from you guys about another kind of magazine or newspaper or anything like that that really gives you some kind of depth and analysis about, you know, the entirety of the world. Yeah, John cares about knowing about the world. Yes, I do. Yes, I, I do. can see how that, that would be valuable. Yeah, it connects you up with connects you up with the different parts of the world, man. Different different subjects, different things like that. So uh, you want to wrap this one up? Yeah. So we didn't do it last time, but we have a we have a where where could they find this show, Michael? Do you have any idea? <laughs> where they could find this show? Yeah. Jeez, I'm I'd like to think anywhere anyone can find a podcast. That would be the hope. Right. So what? YouTube, iTunes. Uh, so it's not iTunes anymore. It changed. It's now Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I meant. I was just testing you, John. Yeah, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They only changed it like a month ago. Yeah, so Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and at our website, you can get the show notes at probably Subject Radio slash Episode 2? Episode 2? Is that what we want to do it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think. Subjectradio.com slash something. Yes. Um, and that yeah. will be this episode. Yeah. Forward slash. Don't do backslashes, ladies and gentlemen. That's for losers. Forward slash? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's the only fun. way to go. Yeah, it is what it is. All right. All right, Mike. I'll see you next week, yeah? All right. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
I'm definitely going to have to update this computer. I hate this thing so much.